Welcome to The Backstory, a new podcast where we talk to culture figures, creators, collectors, and artists about the things that motivate them. I am Sean Williams. I'm obsessed with kicks, and I'm an exhibition curator from Brooklyn, NYC. Here with my man, Dan. Let him know what your name is, Dan. I am Dan McQuaid. I am an editor at Defector, a new sports and culture blog. And uh, I am from Philadelphia, as I will tell you if you meet me. Awesome. Awesome. And we have an esteemed guest with us today who we are very excited about talking to today because I personally deem him as a national treasure. And I'm sure after this interview and this story here that we share, you will agree. By all means, please introduce yourself, dear brother. My name is Jamel Shabazz, and I'm just trying to be a good brother. That's all. I'm an alchemist. I'm <laughs> history, and that's it. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm just striving to lend my voice to contribute to the preservation of world history and culture through my photography. Nice, nice. Awesome, awesome. So we hear the backstory, Jamel. We love to talk to people about the thing that motivates them, that thing that gives them the creative juice and the creative energy to continue to do the thing that they do on such a high, great, and inspirational level to others. And for you, we found out that you are a collector of books about African-American history and culture. And talk to us about why that motivates you. What started you collecting them and why that motivates you? Well, once again, I want to thank you guys uh, for inviting me and uh, giving me an opportunity to share my vision of your program, The Backstory. I think it's a great title, and uh, I'm truly honored to be here with both of you. But uh, I grew up in an environment with books. You know, my father was a photographer and an avid reader, and within our home in Brooklyn, he had a really massive uh, library full of really inspiring books that informed my understanding of the world around me. You know, I was going to Catholic school at the time, and um, I wasn't really interested in the things I was learning, but it was what lied within my father's library that really captivated me, you know, from his books on photography, uh, documentary photography at the time, and war photography. Uh, I was just blown away behind the powerful images that were that lied within all of these books and information. Uh, besides the, the publications that he had, the books, it was Life Magazine, National Geographic, it was Playboy Magazine, and I read almost everything and it's through reading those books at a very young age, I say about probably between seven, eight, nine years old, it gave me a greater understanding of what was going on in the world around me. During that time period, the 1960s, the war in Vietnam was going on and the civil rights movement was in full, full force, the anti-war movement. And no one was telling me about these things here. So it's through my father's books and publications that I, in a sense, educated myself. And I learned early on the importance of books and having a library, you know, so... Uh, for the past, I'll say, 50 years, you know, I've been building up a really massive library of just really powerful books, ranging from uh, uh, history, photography, uh, massaging, art, culture, and everything in between. It's not limited to one particular area. It's just, it's just broad. Can 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 I back up for 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 one second here? Uh, obviously, the old joke is, you know, you read it for the articles. Did I hear you say you were reading? Playboy at seven, eight, nine. Yeah, I was, I was, because my yeah. father had a, a, a subscription, and uh, and I went through everything, cover to cover. But okay. to be honest with you, and I say this all the time in my interviews as, as a young child, 
it's through reading Playboy magazine that I was introduced to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Because Alex sure. Haley, who's a writer, as you know, renowned writer uh, for Playboy, he interviewed both Malcolm, Alex, uh, Malcolm, uh, Martin Luther King, and, and uh, Lincoln Rockwell. So I learned about the American Nazi Party at that young age. So I, I read the interviews because I love to read. And of course, sure. it, uh, uh, the comics that was in there, the illustration, the art, the, the fashion, and the imagery. And it's through looking at the imagery that I learned beauty and I learned the power of photography. And another aspect of photography, because prior I was looking at images of war, but now through Playboy, I'm looking at the, the beauty of women and how photographers are able to capture them in a very unique way. So I, I read it from cover to cover. Sure. No, that's that's super interesting. And, you know, I think that's always true of like, you know, alt alt type magazines, you know, like like, you know, and Playboy isn't was was an alt type magazine where like they do interviews with, you know, Malcolm X and and, you know, the head of the Nazi party. And and you sort of get to learn these things that, uh, you know, a mainstream publication wasn't talking about at the time. And as I revisited Playboy magazine, I realized that Playboy of the 1950s and 60s was almost the equivalent what the internet the internet is today social media because within playboy you had all those elements in one publication and just like you find on social media today so playboy was was a really rich publication beyond what anyone could ever imagine and i find when i revisit it you know I, I, i'm learning so much it was through playboy that i really learned what vietnam looked like and, and i had to sure. get an anniversary because they really broke down the war in vietnam in a way that i wasn't even getting on television so uh, I, I can really say that it, it informed my understanding of the world and of photography and culture. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. Look at that. Amazing. So you said the way it accentuated and, and showed the, the beauty of a woman, did that help you in developing a photography style? I'm not going to, not necessarily, maybe composition and light would, would inform my mm -hmm. practices later on because I was that, I was that young. I didn't really understand it. I didn't really understand the women at that point, you know, so it's not sure. like it really inspired me in that way at that very early age. Later on, it, it, it might have, but not necessarily. It just showed me, like I said, the beauty of photography. And for the first time, I'm seeing right. the beauty of women and, 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 and just how, how they are captured in such a very unique way. It right. wasn't the, the, right. book, the book that my father had that really informed my photography was a, a book he had on the coffee table. Unlike the ones he had in his library, there was one book in particular, Black and White America, but this book right here by Leonard Free that really opened up my eye because what made it unique was the fact that it was signed and it sat prominently on our coffee table. We never had a chance to talk about it, but in looking at this book here, it, it exposed me to a, a larger world outside my community that I wasn't aware of because whatever reason, my parents weren't talking to me about what was going on. I had to find out on my own. I wasn't learning in Catholic school. I learned through the books. I learned from going to the library, you know, in terms of what was happening. You know, a Walter Cronkite informed me because, you know, during that time we had the assassinations and I'm traumatized as a child and no one is explaining to me, you know, look, Martin Luther King was assassinated today. You know, how do you deal with it? How do you move on? Robert Kenny, I remember those, those assassinations so well and no one said anything to me. So I was constantly digging. But Black and White America took it to a whole nother level because it allowed me to see that that I'm 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 living in a very different world. That I'm about to step into a world that's very different. I'm seeing the segregated South for the first time, and not only seeing it, but in reading this book here, I'm 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 understanding that I'm going to be growing up in a world that that I'm going to have some problems. So Black and White America informed me early on of the challenges that I was I would face as a young man at eight nine years old. In addition to everything else that was going on in the world. Sure, sure.
So did that lead to the collection of books that you collect now? Was that something you knew was going to be the thing that you collect and, and embody as something you were going to always look into and, and, and seek refuge in when you look at the images? Not necessarily. I think that the idea came to me when I was in the army in Germany because we had a lot of time to read. And at that point, we had a really comprehensive bookstore. So I started to read my collection then. And I couldn't throw books away and I couldn't give books away. I could maybe lend one, but I felt the need to hold on to all of the books. So my collection really started in 1977 when I joined the army. That's when I saw the value of books. And I mm -hmm. started to just build up a massive library. It's there I learned about the Black Arts Movement and literature. You know, I learned about J.A. Rogers and, 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 and uh, other photographers. So at that point, I invested in both music and books. There was an even balance. You know what I mean? Stereo was everything in Germany. So I collected albums. And then besides right. the albums, I have a massive album collection. I started to collect different uh, books, primarily biographies, nonfiction, and photography books. That's that's awesome. I, that's that's yeah, that's so interesting that it started when you were in the army um, when you were in the army in Germany, because I believe that that's the first that's the genesis of black in white America, where he's a he's a freelance photographer in Berlin or whatever. And he takes a photo of like a black soldier guarding the I'm sure it's like the first photo in the book or the and it blew me away because that became me. So it's sure that this photograph would be in a book. And that's what really captivated me, because at the same time he took that photograph, I had two uncles that were serving in Germany that same time period. So that really caught my eye. And how ironic that later on, about maybe eight years later, I'll be in a similar situation. So it's something you would bring that up. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know what's interesting? You mentioned the collection of the books and how it coincides with the music, too. Do you have... Have you ever referenced the books and the music and see how they've, they've kind of correlated and spoke to a certain particular time? Oh, always, always. That's very vital for me. Because, I mean, being a child in the 1960s and having grown up during the time of the Vietnam War, it's Marvin Gaye's album, What's Going On, that I like to play when I'm looking into the 1960s and Vietnam and the civil rights movement. They go hand in hand. You know, right. and that, that, that helps me to get, the, get on a certain frequency. It's one thing to look at the music, I mean, and, and to, to, to hear the music of what's going on, but in looking at the photographs now and seeing the Vietnam War unfold in front of my eyes in addition to the mass protests that were going on, going on in America, it's a really perfect balance to give me a, a greater understanding on the vibration of that time. And not only music from that time, Marvin Gaye, but I'm, I'm, I'm one that really appreciates growing up in the music of the 1960s. There's something about that protest music that really resonates with me. I didn't understand it when I was coming of age, but as I got older and I started to listen to the things that was being said, I realized that artists was using that great platform of music to educate people about what was going on in the world. And I, and I admired the fact that coaches came together and they spoke about issues that were relevant, mainly the war in Vietnam that I had a problem with. You know, so the music goes hand in hand. Curtis Mayfield's Superfly album, that was reflective of the time growing up in the 1970s when heroin epidemic had hit the street. You know, so when mm -hmm. I listen to, to, to Curtis Mayfield, I have a tendency to revisit my imagery that deals with the heroin epidemic and, and, and the crack epidemic and prostitution. So music is a very instrumental part of my entire process, even my photographic processes. When I came home from the army, when the message came out by Grandmaster Flash, that was mm -hmm. the music that fueled my desire to understand what was going on. You know, when self-destruction came out, that was the vibration that I was feeling every day when I took to the streets looking to capture images. That song was playing, and I felt that inside. 
So music is is always very uh, a very intricate part of my entire process. Even on my social media feed, you find I'm always sharing music because I want people to understand my particular frequency. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, in your collection of books, do you ever hear one song in particular and it draws you to a certain book where you cross-reference in terms of the vibe? Like, you'll listen to what's going on. What book? would really coincide with that mood, do you think, in your collection? I'll say what's going on could be a combination. You know, it, it, it's so many books. Like, there's a photographer out of London called Philip Jones Griffin, and he's covered the war. That, that, that's a book that really stayed with me early on, a noted war photographer. And 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 that book comes into play. Um, it, I'm sorry, I got a little sidetracked, you know. It, it, no, no, you're, you're all good. I mean, the thing that's amazing about what you're telling us, Jamel, is that for, for people who see you as a photographer and now we're here talking to you, the things that we appreciate about you, you're actually being inspired by a couple of different dimensions. So music, cross-referencing books, and then your personal experience is what we're getting from you when we see your imagery. And that's incredible to find out. Thank you. Yeah, music was everything. I mean, going back to your question, Love is a Message by MFSB. When I, mm-hmm. when I play that album, I like to go back in the time and look into my archive because that was a very popular song back then. It was the energy and the, the term itself, love is the message. That was the frequency that a lot of my images rep, rep, represent. So when I hear that, it takes me back into time uh, of a really good time in my life. To me, the birth of hip hop, because love is the message was really that song that, that kind of like gave way to hip hop. People don't really know that, especially for my generation on the personal. So when I hear mm-hmm. that song, I have a tendency to go deep into my archives. You know, El Coco, let's get it together. How I'm having a blue nose. But I want to go on a certain frequency and, and, mm-hmm. and scanning. Like right now, I'm going through a process of scanning thousands of negatives from the 1980s. So I like to play music in a backdrop to put me in a certain mindset to help edit the images out. What goes what goes into uh what goes into scanning all your old photographs? I assume that's a very time intensive uh repetitive process. I don't look at it as time. I, I don't look at it as repetitive. I look at it as a joy because what's okay. happening now, I don't photograph like I used to due to the coronavirus. I'm not out there at all. At this sure. stage in my life, I'm 60. I feel that I've, I've reached a certain crossroads where now I can take a pause and I can reevaluate my work. I've been photographing now for 45 years. There has to come a point when you have to stop. So this whole coronavirus has really put a, a halt on all my traveling because I was booked up to be on the road for the next throughout the entire year. So in a sense, it's a blessing that now I have a moment, a pause to reevaluate my archive and go back into time. I am revisiting frozen moments. Many of them I have no memory of. I'm discovering on these negatives so many photographs I have no memory of whatsoever. So it's like sure. it's a new find to look at a sleeve of negatives and, and look back at a photograph in 1980s a beautiful image I have no memory of and now scan it and bring it back to life and share it on social media where now people reaching out to me saying that's me. And now I'm able to bring joy in the lives of so many other people by just posting it. So again, I look at it as frozen moments in time, but now 40 years later, I'm throwing out these frozen moments, sharing it on a global platform like Instagram. And now the people I photograph or their children are reaching out to me saying that's me and giving me an even deeper backstory of the photograph. So with that, it brings me joy every single day. I am never bored. You know, I'm, I'm always full of joy. I have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of negatives that I'm looking forward to reexamining. 
So that has really uh, uh, enhanced my life in so many ways where I'm, I'm always busy. In addition to my negatives, I've kept, I've been journaling for 40 years. So as I'm looking at my negatives and taking a moment of pause, I'm re-examining things I wrote back in the 1980s about what I was feeling inside. So it, it, it's always a high beyond, but beyond belief. And it's like to, to see this image come up on the screen after scanning it and having no memory of it, but knowing I took it, that just warms my heart. And it makes me feel like what I was doing has had even greater meaning after all of these years. It has been an incredible thing to see on social media and even in talking to you and hearing how people have reached out to you and said, that's me, or that's my brother, my mother, father, or, you know, in some cases when you have couples you've, you've um, photographed and they're either, you know, they update you and say, hey, we're still together, you know, and stuff like that. I think that that's incredible that you revisiting these images and posting them has actually reinvigorated the conversations people have about great things and good things. And they, you, the same way you're revisiting your life, when they see those images, they revisit their lives as well. So the next question is, because one of the things that I look at in particular as a DNA and, and, and a blueprint in your imagery is fashion. Mm. How, how conscious are you of now when you look back how fashion has changed, even in what you've documented, as well as, you know, what you used to actually pinpoint when you were taking pictures? Yeah, um, so much has changed. It was the, the fashion elements that really drew me in to the type of photography I do. I was informed by, uh, greatly influenced by a, a young photographer in Brooklyn back in 1975, who was, um, he was the warlord of a gang called the Badass Stompers, a division of the Jolly Stompers. It's mm. me going to his house as a young kid, seeing his photo albums that blew me away. And what, what captivated me about them was the way these guys were dressed. Unlike the traditional gangs that we see with cut off jean jackets and uh, with lettering on it, the Jolly Sampas are a very unique gang. They were a combination of African-American and Caribbean. So they combined the two cultures. So now you got guys wearing you know, uh, London fog, straddle jackets and trench coats with beaver hats and Playboys and Poom, mainly back then, a lot of cats was wearing shoes. So you got the Playboys, uh, Gators, and I was blown away behind that. You know, and a lot of these guys were older than me, but it was something about those images that really captivated me. Just that fashion. I've never seen anything in my life like that. Even in my photography, I try to emulate that, but I haven't really gotten it. Between the fashion of, of, of the 1970s in, in Brooklyn and what I experienced in Germany with guys from Philadelphia in the 70s, it just blew me away. So fashion was was what really captivated me. Not only the fashion element, but more importantly, the dignity and integrity that the subjects had. So that was very prominent back in the days, you know, in the 70s. You know, everyone pretty much dressed sharp. You took pride in yourself. You ironed your pants. You took pride in having a fresh haircut. Uh, women back in the days, they always wore shoes. If you wore sneakers, you had them in your gym bag and you changed at school. You know, it, it was a it was it was a simpler time, but we just took pride in ourselves. Everybody, when you walked out, you know, for the most part, you was fresh. So I found in my photography that when people dress well, they were more open to be photographed. Because a lot of times in my practice, people I didn't know. If I came upon a group of brothers that were really dressed sharp and I engaged them in conversation, they looked well and they knew they looked well, they would be more open to be photographed. Same with the women. So fashion played a very key component of it. Due to these times now, and I noticed during the past maybe 15, 20 years, the white t-shirt has become popular. 
Because what we have to understand is that people don't have the money they had back in the days. So white tees is now susceptible. Back in those days, it was unacceptable. You would never see anybody wearing it, even on the ball court. You had guys wearing nylons. They were fashion when they played ball. Today, people just trying to make it. So that, that emphasis on materialism is not as prevalent as it was back when I was coming up. People are just trying to survive right now, like never before. Really difficult, hard times. Back in the 70s and 80s, the economy might have been a little bit different. People had city jobs. There were jobs available. You had work programs where young people were able to get summer jobs. So you were able to get the fly again. And oftentimes when I look at the comments, when I post images that highlights fashion, the Pumas, the Adidas, and things of that nature, you will hear the, the, the subject saying that I had a summer job. And through that summer job or that part-time job, I was able to go to Delancey Street and get me some fresh gear. Today, those job opportunities are not there. So you find that people don't have that same type of uh, uh, vibration. They may not wear the fresh hair because you can't go to the barbershop. So I mm -hmm. see that those, that's really uh, the difference between now and, and, and back 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the expression of getting fresh the way we used to just simply isn't there right now because of a whole lot of different factors. So when you look back at the books that you collect and the imagery in those books and you see and you kind of reflect on what times the times were like back then and do you draw any parallels to now that's a good question the parallel between that time and now is the epidemic and the politics of that time period back then we had the aids epidemic and the crack epidemic two major epidemics that were really uh, destroying families. And there was a lot of fear and uncertainty, you know, with really both. With AIDS, we didn't understand AIDS when it first came out. There was all these different uh, uh, ideas about how it came to this country. But at the same time, people were dying. A lot of people, a lot of people of color were dying. Uh, and then when the crack epidemic hit, now we have, we, we deal in a whole other situation because we deal with a lot of young people who gravitate towards selling drugs because the money seemed very fair seeming. And then you had another population of people that were using drugs. And then with all the money being made, you had now these crews start to formulate that were selling drugs. And now you had an increase in violence, not only in New York, but throughout the country. You know, so it was a very troubling time. And meanwhile, we had a presidential election that was going on. And that was Reagan when he was being nominated for the presidency. And those that knew his policies knew that we were heading towards some very difficult times. And sure enough, you know, uh, uh, the war on drugs, a lot of social programs were cut. So sure. those are some of the similarities that, that were taking place back then and now. Sure, sure. So talk about your book. Now, that was a great segue to talk about your book, A Time Before Crack. A Time Before Crack was my attempt to address the crack epidemic. And it was an attempt. You know, I rushed it. I wish I could have slowed it down some, you know, and gotten people who had sold crack and used crack to incorporate their voices in it. I'm very, very grateful for Cole Rodriguez for lending his voice and really shedding light on the crack epidemic from his perspective. The imagery is there, but I want to address it because people didn't understand what crack did. You know, the book came, I believe, in 2004, and crack was pretty much on, on the decline. But the destruction was still there. So now yeah. we look at people who are mentally ill. We might look at them and say, well, that person's crazy, not realizing that they suffered something traumatic while using crack. And they were mm -hmm. never the same behind what they went through. 
You know, you might uh, you might see people who just came home from prison after doing 30, 40 years. And we, we didn't understand what that did under the crack laws. So what mm -hmm. I want to do is remind people, mainly the users and the dealers, because a lot of people fell victim to using crack. And once they did, I might have photographed them in the early 80s and they were at their, they were at a high point in their lives in terms of looking good and on a road, a, a great road of, of, of accomplishment. And then when they started using crack, they lost everything. And even their physical form uh, 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 transformed. So when the mm -hmm. book came out and you opened up and you saw yourself looking beautiful and regal, it caused you to reflect and it helped in the healing process. As those turn people turns the pages, even the drug dealers, you might come upon a community that you contribute in the destruction. And now yeah. it wants you. You made money for that short time, but as you flip and you see the pages of women who might have came into your crack house and sold themselves, the subconscious starts to play in you. You might come upon a photograph of a young man you murdered because he didn't pay you the money on time. So it, it was my attempt to bring back the conversation and show how life was before crack hit and cause mm -hmm. people to really realize that, in a sense, we were set up. So it was just mm -hmm. a reminder. You know, it is my hope to do that book over again. And to go really, really deep with it, like never before, from my personal experience, you know what I mean? Because one of the things mm -hmm. I didn't do in that book was really get deep and address it, because I'm still new to this industry. This is still mm -hmm. a, a learning process for me. So as mm -hmm. I get older and wiser, my understanding becomes more clearer on how I have to use my voice and platform to really address these issues with information that could serve beyond a photography book now, but becomes a historic record. So it, right. it is my hope that I'll do a time before crack again and just break down in chronological order the different events that were happening during that time period, you know, that led right. to crack. Absolutely, dear brother. Absolutely. Dan? Uh, I don't have anything at this instant. Are we good on time? I feel like... We're, we're excellent on time. I, I want to ask Jamel to share with us a little bit, just a sneak peek, not too much, Jamel, a little sneak peek of what's coming up in the future from you. Well, it's hard to say right now. You know, I've been, uh, I would love to be a playwright. You know, I grew up in the theater, you know, so I've been developing plays over the past maybe 20 years. So I'm mm -hmm. really, you know, I have a determination to take, you know, my experiences on the street and put them in, in, in the theater. In addition to wanting to do working on a miniseries, you know, it's been an idea of mine for a long time to help people really better understand what this thing is about from my perspective, both my experience in the military and my experience in a time before crack. I feel it's necessary to get that out there. I've done all I can photographically. You know, I have work mm -hmm. that will last me for a lifetime, memories that will save me forever. I have to take it to the next level right now. So I think that stepping into the film arena is where I really need to be at right now. And that's close to my heart. I am working on another series of books right now, a series of books uh, mm -hmm. under the title of, a, um, um, of The Book of Life, which would be a volume set. So I have that. So once that's done, I can move on. My, my work will be... Uh, uh, officially archived in the book form. But I think that I th that the theater and the big screen is where I need to be at right now. I'm looking at uh, what's going on right now. There's a void and we need period movies. I grew up on period movies. Like I like Boardwalk Empire um, mm -hmm. and films of that nature to really grab sure. So I would ideally like to do something about my life growing up in the 1970s, 1980s from a different perspective without the violence, the negativity, based off really my experience coming up. And not that it was a perfect world, but it was a very interesting world. And when I look at Cooley High and maybe the education of Sonny Carson, it's, it's, it's something like that, but it's more mm -hmm. of, a, of a righteous level. And I think that it's necessary because a lot of my peers, their children are coming up to age, up, up, 
up in age right now and they want to know. Even as I post retro pictures on my social media feed, the audience wants to know, well, what was that time like? You know, so it's one thing to convey it through an image, but to actually have a, a movie or a documentary to really break it down, I think that's necessary right now to have people better understand that things weren't all that. They, it was just a different day and time, especially in this world we live in now where everyone is wearing masks and we social distancing. This might become the new normal. So I want to rewind <laughs> to a very different time, a time before the coronavirus. Mm, look at that. Look at that. So, so you just inspired my final question. Is there a book in your collection that you love that you wish you did? I can't say right now. I think that I, 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 I've done my part. When I look at Black and White America, I continue that. When I look at the work mm -hmm. of James Vanity and Gordon Parks, I continue that. So not at all. You know, I'm a pathfinder, so I kind of like made my own way. The various books I've mentioned served as maps to me to get to where I'm at right now. But I have my own journey right now, and, and and I'm pretty cool with it. You know, I have no, you know, I never really mirror anybody. I draw inspiration, but I, but I, I'm on my own path right now. So I have to make books that are on another level. You know, my work is just it's different. They've had their journeys, and I have mine. So my journey's on a whole different platform right now because it's bigger than what anyone could ever imagine. For me, the camera was a confidence that led me to meet different people, and that's what it's really about. Having met people back 20, 30 years ago, but reconnecting with them now to understand why we met on this path. So maybe when I look at the alchemist, that's I would do a continuation from my perspective and how mm. I've been on this journey for all these years and I met people along the way who who really inspired me to be where I'm at right now and brought everything full circle, including yourself. Jamel, thank you. Thank you, thank yeah. you. Thanks so much. This was fascinating. And I want to let you know, you know, I, I'm sure I speak for Dan as well. And I've told you this and we had conversations also before. If you need any help from either of us, you got it. All right. Just let us know. I, and I want, and I, I just got this package from, from a Puma and I thought about you when I got them because I know you, you have your love for sneakers. So they gifted me with a nice little package. So I'm oh. <laughs> Adding them to my collection, so I'm beginning to kind of like collect some 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 footwear right now. I got my ballets from back in the days, so I'm mm -hmm. a nice new collection. Another thing I collect too is clothes. You know, so I didn't really share that with you. I've been collecting clothes from the '70s for a long time. So that's oh, very cool. Now where I could bring out all of the clothes I collected and and incorporate them on the big screen as well. It sounds like me and Co are going to have to do the Jamel Shabazz exhibition. That's what yeah, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, based off a collection. I think the collection would be interesting because it's bigger than the photography. I collect yep. Sports Magazine, Vibe Magazine. I can't throw anything away. I'm glad I have the space to house these things. I got my mixtapes and my real reels from Germany back in the days that would blow people away. Oh, wow, that's so cool. So I got all the reels from back then and, and, and thousands of mixtapes I made. You know, so in time, that might be an idea that we, we can explore. You know, I got a number of love for you and Cole, so it'd be a wonderful endeavor to consider as time goes on. Dear Brother Janelle, Jamel, thank you so much for this, man. We appreciate you for coming on the backstory and sharing such an incredible journey and insight into who you are and what you've done and how you've you have definitely, you already know, I told you, you have inspired me to a point where I always thank you just because of being in appreciation of your work and you being who you are and your energy to me. And, and even to find out that we both went to the same high school was great. Samuel J. Tilden, Blue Devils, stand up. Um, 
so so it's been great man i want to thank you very much for this and like i said anything you need from us here the otis crew you have it i'll definitely keep you in mind all right take you now peace jamel thank you all right you're welcome peace This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security, which can only be made through official offering documents that contain important information about risks, fees, and expenses. Securities on the Otis platform are offered through Downward Group LLC, Memra FINRA, and SIPC. Private investments are highly illiquid, speculative, and carry the risk of total loss. 